Welcome to the premiere episode of Just Giants, podcast devoted exclusively to the New York Giants. I am Mike Aegis, the Cranky Fan, and joining me is Mike Sheeler, the Football Grump. How's it going, Grump? What's going on, Mike? I got my buffalo chicken pizza right here. I'm ready to go. Yeah. So why are we doing this podcast? I'm sure you're asking. Actually, I'm asking you why you're listening since nobody knows who we are and <laughs> we have no sponsors and we're just we're just out here talking about the Giants. We are two cousins, two Giant fans who love the New York Giants. We sit every week in Section 124, and basically this is an extension of our endless, long-running text chats we have almost on a nightly basis. It could be March 15th, December 30th, and every time we always ask, what do you think about the draft now? Are we going to get a wide receiver, a tight end? So we figured... You know, we entertain ourselves enough. It's time to entertain you, the audience. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, oh. I feel like we started this podcast just because I'm sick of always uh, like only talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> and quite frankly, I'm kind of sick of talking to just you also. So maybe we can get some yeah. other people involved and, and, and see where we go. So um, this first broadcast, we're just going to kind of basically talk about, you know, the Giants, the state of the New York Giants, you know, the 2016 season and a quick recap and, you know, highs, lows, expectations for the season, what we thought. You know, in future shows we'll talk about, you know, getting ready for the draft, we'll discuss free agency, we'll look at the schedule, we'll break it down position by position, needs, uh the upcoming opponents, you name it. So we have a lot of time between now and opening day. And uh, you know, let's get started. So uh Grump, what did you uh what did you think about last year? What was your initial thoughts? Looking back, I mean uh it's really easy when you just look back and just look at the numbers. The Giants went 11 and 5. It it's if you were to just look at the state of the Giants based on that alone, it's hard to go further up from there. I mean, really, 11 and 5 is a great record. Um I think the last time they had a better record, they went 12 and 4 in 2008 when Plaxico Burris shoot, shot himself in the leg. Um so it's hard to imagine going any further up, don't you think? From a record standpoint, yeah, you know, making the uh, making the playoffs, sure. Um, I, I going into the season, I had very low to no expectations for this team. You know, we all remember in 2015 how god awful the defense was. Uh, there were some slight signs that Eli Manning was not what he was three, four, five years ago. And you know, I get it. We had this you know massive free agent uh, spending spree last year, but you know. History has been very spotty when you spend a ton of money. So, I actually think it's been very consistently against the trend there. I mean, I think almost every time you spend a ton of money on just free agents, that team goes down the tubes. That's what I mean. So my yeah. expectations were kind of like, oh, we spent a ton of money, and you know, the, the, is the cohesion going to happen right away? You know, you know, obviously, you know, we couldn't stop the run at all in 2015. That's why we got guys like Snacks. You know, we were a sieve. In the, we were a sieve in the in the in the backfield, and you know that's why we got, you know, my man Janoris Jenkins. Uh, which, by the way, for those of you who don't know me, I am a diehard Florida Gator. So you're going to hear preferential treatment for all Gators. You're going to hear my undying animosity towards Florida State and Georgia. So don't let that uh, you know. get in the way of yeah. Of don't don't fans. turn off it. If, if you're a Noel, maybe best <laughs> you don't uh, listen any further. But you know, I'll try to keep those biases aside as much as I can. Uh, but getting back to it, you know, my expectations were kind of, you know, this was a team that would would struggle. I, you know, 
Ben McAdoo was a complete unknown. We were on a complete rebuild in the in the in the defense, and I thought we'd be kind of like a, a five and eleven, six and ten type of team. I think you're selling yourself short. I'm pretty sure you said seven and nine and eight eight to me right before the season started. I actually had higher hopes. I thought we would go ten and six, and I turned out to be pretty close to being right. But I'm I, usually a little bit optimistic. Listen, when I go to a game, I expect the Giants to win every time. <laughs> he does. I, I do. I, th- there's no reason why they can't, uh, especially with Eli Manning at quarterback. So, I would I, say I would say 2011 playoff Eli Manning. I feel we can never lose, but I think 2016 Eli Manning. And we'll get into this, you know, a little more today and in a future podcast. You know, the the future of the New York Giants in the near term is can Eli Manning keep Father Time from catching up too fast. And that, that to me is my biggest concern of this team going forward. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely something that we're going to talk about going forward throughout the off season and probably throughout the season as well, depending on how, how things go. Um, but putting the record aside, really looking at games, I, I mean, it's really easy. Like I said, to look at it as 11, five and go, well, it's harder to go any further up from there. But I mean, if you've watched any of the games, you know that it was not, this was not a team running away with, with games here. And there was a lot of talk about how the offense was scoring less than 14 points a game uh, throughout the last, like, seven weeks of the season. So, I mean, wh- where did you see the strengths and where did you see the weaknesses of the 2016 Giants? Well, obviously, the strength of the, of the Giants last year was was defense. You know, the the ability to stop the run was, the, I think, the biggest key to this team last year. Um, you know, if you remember back in 2015, the defense was on the field all the time. They just couldn't stop the run, and that just wore the defenses down. So when you even go back to game one in 2015 in Dallas, we completely collapsed in the fourth quarter. They were just gassed. You know, bringing in a Snacks Harrison, all of a sudden, it would just change everything on the, on, you know, from a running perspective of stopping the run. And, you know, that was the biggest change. Um, the biggest weakness of this team... The inability to run the ball. Uh, you can blame that on the offensive line. You can blame that on very, very pedestrians, uh, running backs. You know, Paul Perkins, you know, showed some signs at the end of the season, but I wouldn't uh, get his bust ready in Canton by any stretch. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, we had basically no tight ends, none who could block, who could barely catch. So you, when you're running backs also that really didn't do a very good job even like kind of chipping against like blitzes and stuff. It made the offense very pedestrian and very just trying not to make mistakes. I mean, how many times did Eli do two-step little dump-off passes and, you know, consistently play after play after play because we couldn't run the ball? You know, we we will talk about all the problems that Eric Flowers had at left tackle. You know, didn't have much time to throw. So, you know. We, oh, God, we, no. We, I, I mean, here's what I'll say. And I, I just thought off the top of my head. So if this analogy sucks, whatever. Um <laughs> An NFL offense is a lot like a race car, right? I mean, you can have the most horsepower ever in your wide receivers and your running backs, but your offensive line are your wheels. Right now, I think, or at least last year, I, I think the Giants had a like a NASCAR race car with cinder blocks <laughs> for an offensive line. Because, I mean, we were there. How often were we groaning every play, two-step drop, three-yard gain to one of the most explosive wide receivers in the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I think the running game had a part of it, too. I mean, with stuff at the line of scrimmage going back to 2012, right? Yeah, guys, running backs that uh, have no 
no pop or no kick at the line of scrimmage. They, they don't they don't hit the hole like they're supposed to, and so that didn't help anything as well. Uh, you know, we phased out the fullback from this offense completely. Maybe that's something you know add to the fact that you have no tight end. You know, and add to the fact that you have kind of a sieve of an offensive line, no protection. You know, and we we run that same base eleven offense almost all the time too. You know, no protection. I, I think there is some debate on. Uh... I mean, may, maybe very little debate, but at least in my mind, there's a constant struggle on, did we run that 11 offense because that's the game plan or because that's what we've got to do with the offensive line that we have? Are we only doing two-step drops because any longer than that and Eli Manning's face first in the dirt? I, I really don't know the answer to that. I think the, the answer is somewhere in the middle there. Yeah, I, you know, coaches coaches know their personnel a lot more than we do, you know. It's a lot of fans, you know, they read what they read on the internet and they hear some insiders who get kind of limited exposure to watching practice and, you know, they see drills during, and they go out to, uh, to Timex in August and they watch that first or second preseason game. They think they know everything, but coaches are a lot smarter than you give them credit for. And they know, they know the limitations of their personnel. They know what these guys can and can't do. Um, you know, let's go to, let's go back to Eric Flowers again. You know, the, the theme you've heard all off season is, you know, everybody's done with him. They want to cut him. They want to move him to right tackle or something. Well, the coaching staff knows that who's going to replace Eric Flowers at left tackle right now. Now I'm sure they, you know, every effort was made during free agency to try to get a serviceable left tackle based upon, you know, what the salary cap is or availability, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the draft next month. But, you know, I'm pretty certain they're not going to draft a left tackle who's going to come in and start right away. And they certainly don't want to do that with a quarterback who's 36 years old and is the franchise, whether we think he's a, a step slower than he was, you know, three, four years ago. So I mean, he, I don't think there's a surefire left, surefire left tackle in this draft. But even if there was, it's still a struggle to come in and play day one at left tackle. I mean, you got to remember, this guy's got to learn a whole new offense. I mean, right there, even a even a veteran free agent has a learning curve. Right now, you've got a guy going up from whatever Big Ten school or SEC school, and he's got to learn a whole new thing. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think I think Eric Flowers is probably going to end up staying pat where he is this year, and I don't think that's the worst decision. Yeah, I mean, he's still on his rookie contract, and next year they, the Giants have the decision to make. Are they going to pick up his option or not? And that decision is going to be made a lot harder if the kid isn't playing. You know. Uh, well, I mean, cutting him now would have been foolish. Oh, no, I they're mean, not going to cut him. I don't think there's a him, GM if, in the league that would have cut him. No, 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 I'm not talking cut the guy, but I'm talking about they're going to move him to right tackle or they're just going to bench him and say, you know, you're not going to see the field anytime, anytime soon. That's They're going to play him. I mean, it, it, this offensive line is not the Dallas Cowboy offensive line where they had the luxury to say – you know, the first round, the number eleven pick in the draft two years ago is now on the bench. He's going to play. He's going to. Yeah. He's going to prove it that he is not, you know, worthy of getting that you know option pick up next year. Or even if they do for the money, or you know, a lot can happen between now and then. And the, the Giants, you know, that offensive line, they got to worry about re-signing these other guys to uh, um, contracts at the end of this year coming up. So sure, yeah. Yeah, you've got Justin Pugh and Weston Richberger coming coming to the end of their rookie contracts, and those are probably the two most promising pieces on the line. In fact, they definitely are. I don't even why. Probably. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think they're the only two worth half a shit anyway. So. Yeah. yeah. And we just broke I, the I, no cursing rule at. Well, well, you know what? Twelve minutes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, kids. Come 
Come the season, that's that's going to be thirty <laughs> seconds. So we'll become a Richard Pryor movie at that point. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I listen. I know people want to hang Bobby Hart, but he might. I I believe he's the youngest person on the team, and he's not terrible at right tackle. Um, I think there's a lot of upside with Bobby Hart. I know you're not going to agree with me right away because he went to Florida State, but that's okay. I think I think I think he's a stopgap guy. I mean, he wasn't drafted. He wasn't a high draft pick. What was was he a seventh round pick or was he even? He was a, he was a seventh round pick. He was a and, seventh and, round pick, and you know you're not counting on a seventh round pick to come in and play right away. You're, he's listen, a rotational not guy. All the, not all the time, but Sean O'Hara wasn't a super high draft pick either. Um, you know, it's 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 tricky. I'm not going to label him anything because he's a seventh round pick. I mean, in all honesty, like I said, he's one of the youngest guys. He probably should have stayed in school. Mm-hmm. He would have been a higher draft pick probably, but. You know, we'll never know. It doesn't matter. Well, the issue with Bobby, the Bobby Hart problem is you also have a right guard that's terrible. So that kind of compounds the problem with him as well. And absolutely. And and the fact that you have no tight end help. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, no no tackle is supposed to win every single matchup every single time. And no tackle does, Joe Thomas included. So th- th- there's still time for, for him. I, I'm not I'm not going to throw Bobby Hart under the bus. I think I think he is more promising than a lot of people gave him credit for. I think so too, but I also think that you know, you might see you know either from the draft or during training camp cutdowns you might see his replacement as a starter sure. at right tackle. Where, but I still think Bobby Hart will be definitely be a rotational guy, you know, on the line. I mean, he he has played some guard also. Has he just been a tackle? He's played guard also, right? I don't think he's played guard in in a college game or anything like that. But they've they've worked him in at right guard. They I think they kind of wanted him to be a right guard, but it just turned out that he was better at right tackle. He was more used to it and. He, he, he wasn't bad, so they just kind of rolled with him. So let's, uh, let's talk for a second about Eli, because I kind of alluded to before where you know, the short-term and intermediate-term success of this team is his ability not just to you know, become Peyton Manning and just fall off a cliff as far as production and health. I mean, we've been very blessed that over the last 15 years or so, the guy's been healthy. Um, the question is going to be, all of a sudden, a, a gunslinger by nature all of a sudden loses some zip on his fastball, be- becomes a real liability in this league. Um, yeah, all right. Well, I'll, I'll start this off with uh, there are 31 teams in the league that are jealous of the streak that Eli Manning has going. And that includes the Patriots, who lost Tom Brady for an entire year. Plus four games for cheating. But we'll yeah, plus go. four games for cheating, but I guess we forget about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh I'm telling you, all thirty or all thirty-one teams are are jealous of what Eli Manning has going and what the Giants have going for them in in an Iron Man at the quarterback position, um, and and like you said, a gunslinger by nature. You live with Eli Manning and you die with Eli Manning. Just kind of kind of the same way you live and die by the home run in baseball. He, he's going to give every receiver an opportunity to make a play. He's going to throw into double coverage. He's going to throw interceptions. It's how he has been his whole his whole career. Going back to college, so his numbers are never going to jump off the page, ever. They're, the the touchdown interception rate ratio is always going to be pretty high, and uh, I'm I'm okay with that. As far as his decline goes, it's difficult to say because of what we said about the offensive line. The, I mean, there were plenty. I, I mean, if you go back to even the last game they played in Green Bay in freezing temperatures. What was that a 45-yard strike to Tavares King for the touchdown? I mean, it was right on the money. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the downfield accuracy I don't think is gone. I think I think a lot of it has to do with maybe just too many years of dancing around in the pocket. 
Um, I, I also think that uh, what nobody's talked about is uh, if, if there has been a decline, it's been in his footwork, I think. I think in 2011, what made him sensational, despite, again, a terrible offensive line, was his ability to navigate the pocket effortlessly while keeping his eyes downfield. I did not see this that this year at all. Um, and kind of and kind of adding to that, not only the, the footwork is an issue, his every time he was about to get sacked, I was fearing for my life he was going to fumble, and more often than not, he did. You know, he did fumble. I, okay, so I rewatched every single game from this season, um, as a ritual of my own. Every time I watch a game, I watch it again later with a cooler head, knowing the outcome, and really, really get into the analytics of what the hell happened in the game. Um, but I rewatched everything again before we started this podcast, and there were a lot more sack fumbles than I remember. I mean, it was just terrible. And, I mean, uh, there was times like you know when he finally like a four or five step drop, and all of a sudden you saw like the the pocket collapse, and all of a sudden it was like, oh shit, here comes the sack, and sure enough, uh, ball squirts out. Usually in the most inopportune times, also. I, I think actually, I think he was set. He he was strip sacked twice in the ten seven win over Dallas, which actually lends credence to the uh, to the defense for holding Dallas to only seven points. But yeah, he was sacked three times and. Uh, Twice he was strip sacked. Mm-hmm. So those are the little things that kind of concern me about him going forward. It's you know, boss. It's not a question of you know, maturity or anything. It's, it's kind of you know, losing you know that ability to you know to hold on to the ball and stuff. Those are little things as you get older. That's what's starting to worry me. You know, and you're right. There's a lot. There might be some of that that skittishness in the pocket. You know, it's been years and years and years now. The the abuse he's been taking. It's it's uh, David Carr syndrome. Uh, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's that bad. I mean that that's mm-hmm. I mean David Carr's throwing motion completely changed based on that. He was kind of his throwing motion was completely altered for the rest of his career based on how about it. But I but your point is still valid. Yeah, his skittishness is kind of holding over where you see him dancing around a little too much, almost like a freshman in college mm-hmm. when he's got plenty of time. Yeah, I, I agree. But I don't see I don't see yet the the noodle arm that peyton manning had and i don't know how much the surgery played into that i don't really i'm not a doctor so i'm not going to speculate on any of that yeah i I don't think it's a question of losing the the complete fastball it's just kind of when you're he's much more of a gunslinger i think than peyton was and i think he tries to thread a needle sometimes that you know peyton didn't do and if you lose a couple degrees of off the fastball in situations like that that's you're gonna get into trouble oh absolutely yeah uh, if you want to talk about, uh, you know, Odell Beckham and kind of what we expect from him going forward and, you know, what he did last year, you know, all the antics aside and everything and all the distractions, which to me is much more of noise and nonsense than it actually means on the field. Well, just briefly, I want to touch on uh, what uh, bouncing off of that. Uh, my favorite thing about Ben McAdoo in his first year as head coach was completely dismissing Mike Francesa trying – his hardest to only talk about Odell Beckham made me incredibly happy <laughs> to the point where it was kind of like listening to uh, a, a, a younger guy fight with his father for <laughs> absolutely nothing. But um, I, listen, the, the Beckham antics, it's, it's a lot of media hype. I'm not going to, I'm not going to dismiss the stupid things he's done or the showboaty things he does with the stupid kicking net, but I, I just don't care. I, 
Yeah, and, that, I think, and that's how I preface this thing. I really didn't want to talk about that stuff because yeah. see, that's kind of – that's media nonsense. That's Skip Bayless time. I'm, I'm talking about you know his impact on the field and what we can expect you know, you know, know, going forward. You know, I think having – Victor Cruz was nice and sentimental and it was great that he came back, but – he, he did not comp- yeah he's only going to compliment Beckham if he was able to cut and play in the slot which he very he almost couldn't even cut on the outside there were a lot of rounded out routes mm-hmm. as far as Beckham goes like I said I've rewatched every single game and I have to say that the turning point for the season had to be the Baltimore game where he just straight up took and and I was watching that from a restaurant in um I didn't even get to go to that one were you at that you weren't at that right Baltimore I believe no, I was no, I, had, I no, I was not there. That's I think yeah, that's I was, that was the only was game like, I missed all year. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the few home games that I missed. Um, but I was in Sleepy Hollow watching it from a restaurant in in absolute misery, completely not enjoying my day. <laughs> as I watched them piss away a game, and then all of a sudden he takes one. What was it? Seventy five yards to the house. Yes, Odell Beckham is a one play guy. That's all he needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and with a guy like that. You can't put a value on it. So as long as you're within one score, you can win the game. And um, fortunately, the way the defense played, we were most of the time in a position we were within one score, you know, 10 points or something, where, you know, on a dime, you know, a big Beckham play energized the whole team, and, you know, and away we go. Sure. I mean, even those games that felt miserable to watch, like Minnesota and Green Bay, those were absolutely horrible for me to watch. And yet, when I rewatched them, we were still in the game in the fourth quarter it was it was a beckham play away from being um a complete turnaround and which is what the baltimore game was a complete turnaround yeah those two games the um the minnesota game and the green bay game i was fortunate enough to actually be at both of those road trips and you're right it was just simple conversions you know a third and seven where you know minnesota gets eight yards for a first down where you know it's third and one for us and we can't convert so that we were certainly not blown out in either of those games or just completely outplayed. It was just little little moments like that where we couldn't convert or they could convert, and that's why we lost. Yeah. It makes it so frustrating. And, of course, we really didn't get much help that, you know, we played Minnesota at the time. We thought everybody thought they were a Super Bowl contender. You know, we played them a in brand November. new Older. stadium. Yeah. yeah. Place was rocking, and they were 5-0 and at the time, and everybody was ready to pencil them in for the Super Bowl. And, you know, we play them in November. It's a different thing. But, you know, that's that's the breaks of the NFL schedule. Um, yeah. One other thing I, I want to get back I'm to. I'm not going to make any excuses to losing to Sam Bradford. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing about Ben McAdoo, which we were talking about before, is one trend I saw this year that really made me happy and something that was a kind of a staple of the Tom Coughlin years and even going back to the Jim Fossil days, we didn't have that one turd of a game where we had no business losing and we did lose. You know, I, I go back to the Super Bowl years, like with the, you know, in 2000 when we lost a home game to uh, Detroit at home, we had no business losing. You know, how many times have we lost to crappy Arizona teams? Or it's always that one game in the schedule where you know, stinker, yeah. It's just that you know, it happens to a lot of teams, but we didn't have that last year. And I think that's, you know. There's very little subtle things that happened last year, you know, the switch over to McAdoo from Coughlin. It just seemed like the team, after a, a sluggish start, the first four or five games were, you know, a little sketchy to begin with, but it just seemed like this team was a little cleaner, a little more tighter, a little more attention to detail. And I, I think that's something that McAdoo definitely can build on going forward. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that go into that. And before I get started, I'm going to say that I'm not going to disrespect Tom Coughlin in any way because I thought he was a great coach. And I think that his time was came to an end at the right time. And uh, I, I loved him as a head coach. That being said, Ben McAdoo does a lot of things that are different. And I don't know how much is coming from the top with this, but I mean, it's as simple as playing your draft picks. There, how many times did Tom Coughlin put a guy in the doghouse for one bad play and you didn't see him forever? You kill his confidence because he's only, what, 21 years old, 22 yeah. years old? A fumble um, and that's the end of it for five games. Or sure, yeah. And that that never sat right with me. Um, I think the other thing was Tom Coughlin's unwillingness to go for it on fourth down. No matter what the drive was like, no matter what the momentum was like, fourth and one we were off the field up until about that last year and then when we did go for it it was such a shock that there was no plan in in place we'd get up get up to the line of scrimmage with two seconds left on the play clock call a timeout and then not get the first down uh ben mcadoo has shown fearlessness in going for it on fourth down and it paid off a lot i mean maybe his offense is a little bit more tailored to getting those you know one yard surefire throws to Sterling Shepard crossing the middle or, you know, whatever it may be. It's the fact that he's made a simple decision. We're going for it on fourth down. This is the play. Go do it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – remember, we're in year one of the Ben McAdoo regime, you know. Sure. The, the, the roster has to be tailored to what he wants to do. You know, he's still playing with basically Tom Coughlin's deck. And, you know, it's, you're right. We all love Tom Coughlin. He'll be in the ring of honor. And, you know, the, you know those two Super Bowl runs are great. But let's face it. The guy's in his 70s now. He's been coaching a long, long time. The NFL has changed so much in the last, you know, five years, let alone the last I mean, 15, 20 you can years. Go straight, you can go to, straight to the CBO. You don't have time to sit your draft picks for a stupid reason. Yeah, exactly. It, there's just not enough time in the summer to do it. You can't. There has to be a real legitimate reason to, to sit a guy like that. Yeah. I mean, you're dealing with, you know, a 46-man roster, and you only have so many – Guys, you can use, and you're right. And you know the the practice time has been cut. Training camp is a joke compared to what it be used to be. I mean, you know, Coughlin was an old hard ass. I mean, the guy was one of those. If you're five minutes early, you're five minutes late. And you know, the the league is different. Players are different. And you know, change is good. You know, not saying that change like the Jets who change coaches every you know year <laughs> and a half or something. But yeah. at yeah. some point, fresh blood helps. And you know. I think that the time was right. And is McAdoo, you know, the heir apparent? Is he the guy who's going to be the coach for the next 10 years on this team? Huh? To be determined. You know, yeah. do you like some of the things you saw last year? Yes. Were there some things that made you kind of scratch your head? Yes. You know, is that a new coach, you know, getting, you know, sowing his oats and, and, and learning what he has to do? Yeah, could be. Coaches are successful in this league because of the players they have. You know, coaches who win the Super Bowl and get fired three years later didn't forget how to coach. So, you know, it's a combination of, of coaching the GM and the players. But you, you can't complain when you're 11-5 and five and you make the playoffs and you beat the team that was home field throughout the playoffs twice. So that, it, it's a good start. Like I said, it, it's hard to, when you, just, when you just sit back and look at the record and what the accomplishment was there, it, it, it's hard to imagine a better year. It, it really is. I, if we went 11-5 and five every year and went into the playoffs as a, you know, either – a wild card in a crazy good division or as the division leader, I'd be a happy guy. I mean, yeah, we'd be the chiefs. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I would like to mix in maybe a, you know, 
a Super Bowl every here and there, like some of these of teams don't do. But you're right. I get your point. You don't ever want to go through the stretch like even we did, like these, uh, you know, six and ten, five and eleven things. They're terrible. I mean, those are so oh. demoralized. There's nothing worse than sitting in the Meadowlands in, you know, December fifteenth when it's thirty-five and rain. And you're like, why are we wasting our time with this garbage? Yeah, that's that's the Seriously. worst thing you probably do. So you sit out there with a blanket on, you have the flu, and you, for what? You know. <laughs> Well, hopefully we don't have that situation occur for you know the next several years. So yeah, let's try not to get our hopes up. But uh... all right, Grump, uh, we're running about out of time. Um, so I guess what we'll do is I kind of wrap this up by talking about you know what our goal for the show is. You know, it's basically going to be the two of us kind of spouting our opinions off. You know, maybe you'll learn something or maybe you won't. But you know, we we're we're very passionate Giant fans. We're not going to be afraid to offer our opinions in the positive or the negative. Uh, the Grump is a idiot savant when it comes to the Giants, and <laughs> not accenting on the idiot. I mean, he's, there you go. <laughs> he's smarter than I ever wished he was. So I ever wish I was. So I, I think we're gonna have a lot of fun doing this show, and hopefully you will uh, pass this along to all your friends that are Giant fans, and, and and we'll, you know, we'll be with you throughout the off season and when the season starts. So yeah, the off season isn't isn't going to be super exciting week to week. There's going to be days where the news is crazy. There's going to be, you know, obviously the draft is huge and as we get into spring training and whatever injuries that happen, it it's going to be fun throughout the off season regardless and it's going to keep getting more fun as we get into the season. So yeah, don't I, give up on us. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the NFL is a year-round league, you know, it's a kind of a cliche, you know, Chris Berman likes to say, but it's true. You know, when we're talking about the draft now, I and mean, once the draft is over, then we'll, before you know it, it's going to be the OTAs. And after OTAs, guess what? Training camp is three weeks away, and training camp and cutdowns and pickup and preseason game one, two, three, and before you know it, season started again. So, and knowing our luck, we'll probably be playing in Dallas again on a primetime game that'll be up behind the eight ball once again. So. Stupid Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. <laughs> Trump, so. uh, how can they get a hold of us if they want to uh, insult us or bash us or actually say something nice? Or even just offer a conflicting opinion or ask for ours. Uh, there's We've got a Twitter account up. It's at JustGiantsPod. You can reach out to us there um, or just say hello. Um, you can hit me up particularly, if you'd like, at, at FootballGrump. Um, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at the Cranky Fan. Uh, I host co-host this show, and I also have another show I mentioned before, Mark and the Cranky Fan, where we discuss all things Florida Gator football and basketball. Uh, we also have an email, which I don't know what it is. Grump, what is it? <laughs> oh, ours. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I believe it's just Giants Podcast. You know something uh, at Grump, gmail.com. Grump, no one's listening to us anyway. Don't worry about it. No, we'll, nobody's we'll, listening to us. We'll, we'll figure that out for next week, everybody. So I'm almost positive it's just Giants Podcast at gmail.com. Well, um, we'll clarify episode two if you're. Worst still case, if you get some hate mail back from somebody in, uh, you know, Wichita, yeah. Kansas, saying don't bother me, we'll. We'll, we'll work it <laughs> yeah. out with them. So, but it's uh, the uh, the official email for the little giants. <laughs> we won't be doing any movie reviews for that. Trust me. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening to our our inaugural podcast. We'll be back next week as we start getting closer to the draft, and we'll start uh, talking about a free agency recap and start uh, taking a look at the draft. So, uh, for the gr- football grump, I am the cranky fan saying. Go Giants. Go Giants.